Have you ever had a, a reading assignment in school? You opened it up, you read it, and said, I have no clue what I just read. I have no clue what they're talking about or what to do with this. If I'm honest with you, that is this chapter in Lamentations for me. And I have read it and read it and read it, and it's confusing to me. It's confusing because God really isn't in this chapter. He's mentioned twice, but it's like a fringe, off-to-the-sides type of mention. So here's what's happening. The point of view in this chapter is that of a child, uh, an innocent child who has had their life uh, overturned by the fall of Jerusalem. And so they are trying to figure out what in the world has just happened. They're trying to process through their loss. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to eavesdrop. We're going to listen in on them as they try to figure out what has happened to them. And by doing so, I think it'll help us process our own loss. And so we're going to look at the complexity of loss, how we normally respond to loss, the solutions we throw at it, and then how God responds to our loss. Okay. So the complexity of loss. Now we normally think of loss as pretty straightforward, right? We lose something, we're sad about it, we move on. And yet loss is actually rather complicated, and we know that because it's difficult to define. We all know what loss feels like, but it being able to, to define it is rather difficult, which is why we normally use illustrations or word pictures to describe it, which is what our text does in the first two verses. Notice how it says that, that the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. And so what the text is saying is, is the children of Jerusalem, their life used to be like pure gold. They were living the life. Everything was going great. But now it's worthless. It's like pebbles that get thrown on the ground. And here's how they're defining loss in that illustration. Loss is being deprived of something of value. Their great, comfortable life was valuable, and now it's been taken away. They've experienced loss. And here's why that's so important. It, it means that loss is subjective, because it's based on how you value something, uh, which means that, uh, that our experience of loss is somewhat subjective, too. And by that, I simply mean that two people can experience the same loss but different depths of loss. There is no one size fits all. And I think we know that. I think last year taught us that quite well. Because we all experienced the same shutdown. We were all cut off from our friends, our classmates, our teammates. We, we, we were all deprived of, of embodied human interaction. We all experienced the same loss but we all experience different depths to that loss, right? There are some of us who are introverts. We're like, this is a bummer. It's not the worst thing in the world, though. Uh, whereas others were dying just to have another person in the room with them, right? Same loss, different depth of loss. And the reason that's important to get is because 
Uh, loss is a complex thing. There is no one-size-fits-all type of loss, which means we need to take the effort to process through it, to understand and try to grasp what's happened. But when we do that, we often put forth faulty solutions or faulty responses to the loss, which is what the children in our text do. Uh, they, they do three things. We're going to look at each one of them. The first thing they try to do is fix it. They try to fix the problem. They look to something or someone to, to be their solution, to bring things back to a level of normalcy. For them, it was their king. That's what they're talking about in verse 20. Uh, it says that the, the Lord's anointed, that's referring to, to the king, our very breath, he was caught up in their traps. We thought that under his shadow, we would live among the nations. See, in their mind, they thought, oh, the king will set things right. He'll fix things. He'll protect us. And yet, he was carted away like the rest of them. Their solution failed them because he was inadequate to fix things. He was unable to fix things. And, and most of the time, when we put forth solutions, it's the same way. Because loss is a lot like toothpaste. You can squeeze it out, but once it's squeezed out, you can't put it back in the container. Once we have experienced loss, once we have missed out on dances and sporting events and vacations, you can't get those back. Um, which causes us to normally respond not by trying to fix it, but by complaining about it. Right? We call foul. We say this is unfair. And we look at who else should be joining in our misery. Uh, that's what they do in the last two verses of our text, where, uh, where it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and, stri and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish he will uncover your sins. In other words, the children look around and say, okay, this is happening to us. This doesn't seem fair. Who else should be getting the ax right now? Oh, Edom over there. Yeah, you're bad like us. You should be suffering as well. Misery loves company. Here's the problem with that. Even if everyone suffers and experiences the same loss as you, you're still in the middle of it. You're still experiencing the loss. Which is why there's that third response, that third solution, if you will. And I really think this is the default one for us Christians. We rationalize it. We try to give an answer for the loss. We try to explain or understand why something happened to us. That's what the children are doing throughout the entire passage. They're trying to figure out Who's to blame? Who has to give an answer for the tragedy they're experiencing? And you know what? They figure it out. They correctly identify who's responsible for, and, and why it all happened. And it doesn't change a thing. See, we believe that if we understand why something happened, it will make the loss bearable. And that's a lie. Understanding why something happens does not solve the loss because you're still stuck in the midst of it. And you're probably thinking at this point, Caleb, this is a very depressing talk that you're giving right now. And, and you're right. It is depressing because it's a depressing chapter of Scripture. 
because loss is tragic. And yet we will all experience loss. We all have experienced loss. And when that happens, we have to remember what the children forgot. We have to remember God and his character. We have to ask the question, what is God's response to our loss? And that's really a two-part answer. Part one we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We saw that one day God will set things right, that his just anger assures us that he will put all things the way they should be. But sometimes knowing that things will get better in the future really doesn't help us in the now, in the present. And so what is God's response to our loss right now? And if you guess Jesus, you are right. See, God's response to our loss, to our grief, is to be in the midst of it with us. See, if there was anyone that was familiar with grief and loss, it was Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And do you know what he did when he encountered grief on his time on earth? He entered into it. Uh, one of the best examples of this is the story of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus was good friends with Jesus, and, and uh, he passes away. And so Jesus goes to comfort uh, Lazarus' family. And, and if you know the story, you know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, he responds in a, a quite surprising way. Uh, we're told in the shortest verse in the Bible that when Jesus got to Lazarus' tomb, when he, he saw the people crying, Jesus wept. And I want you to hear how profound that is. Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who knows all things, the one who is about to fix the loss, wept. He joined in the grieving. And that, of course, was part of the reason he came, not just to solve the problem, but to partake in our sorrow. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have become children of God, which means that, that God is near us and comforts us in hardship. Because of Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. God's response to your loss, his response to your hardship, is to be with you in the midst of it. And I understand that's probably not the answer you want. It's not the answer I want. But it is the one that we need. <laughs> when we're in the midst of loss, the best thing we can do, and really the only thing we can do, is to cry out to Jesus. And next week we're going to look at how we can do that practically. But, but for now, I, I just want you to begin thinking about the last year, the losses that you have experienced in your life. How did you process it? And how is God available to comfort you and be with you in the midst of it?